I'll admit that when I think of animal agriculture, crickets are not what come to mind. But it is a piece of Wisconsin's agricultural industry. I'm Stephanie Hoff for the Midwest Farm Report, joining you after visiting with Kevin Bachhuber, who owns Madison Cricket Farm in DeForest, where he raises crickets for live pet food, like for birds or reptiles. This farm is an extension of Kevin's consulting firm, where he advises insect farmers that produce for both animal feed and human consumption. He says despite the size difference, there's a lot of similarities between raising insects and the livestock we're more familiar with, like beef or pigs. There's a lot of similarities. So the most crucial things for insects are temperature and humidity. For the crickets, we're generally doing about 88 degrees Fahrenheit and 30 to 40% relative humidity. They like it a lot hotter, a little wetter when they're young, whatever. The other thing that you have to think about when you're raising so many anim- such a high density of animals in such a small space is airflow. They'll use a lot of oxygen very quickly. They don't have ammonia or any other like noxious smells to really worry about, but they'll breathe all the air in a room. <laughs> then from there, I mean, there's feed, there's water. We use like the standard bell jar chicken waters that you can buy from Little Giant, and then we have some sponges in there that keep the crickets from drowning. Feed is very similar to chicken feed, like a 16-18% layer mash with a couple of extra things to, for the crickets themselves. One of the big advantages that we have is that we can go multiple layers high. So my farm is built for like medium density production. And so we have uh, three rows that we can raise our crickets in and we can essentially triple our production per square foot like that. How do you keep them in? So they're all inside of bins or tanks. In our case, we use 275-gallon IBCs that we've cut in half, and then you just place a layer of shipping tape around it. It's smooth. They're bad at climbing smooth surfaces, so it keeps them in. And generally speaking, I mean, if they're well-fed and they have enough water and enough space to, like, get away from each other, then they're not trying to escape. And they can't fly, which helps a lot. (laughs) Yeah. What does it cost to raise crickets that go into that one one box versus the value you're getting from it? Yeah, base cogs is probably somewhere around three sixty five per unit, three dollars and sixty five cents oh. per thousand crickets. It's seasonally variable because utilities play a large part of our cost of production. Packaging and shipping is obnoxious. I would say it probably works out to like. 15 bucks per unit if you're just sending one box to like one person most pet stores are buying larger quantities so there's some scalar volume stuff there but we still walk out with like a 40 to 60 percent gross margin which is good it's good oh yeah i know it's good i mean like a 3,000 square foot space you know i've seen time and time again produce somewhere around 300 400,000 gross and like 100 to 125k net for like 20 years at a time with just husband, wife, and maybe one or two seasonal workers. So it's very consistent. How many crickets do you usually have under your roof at one time? Yeah, we usually have a couple million and then maybe another 800,000 as eggs on any given day. And remind us why they look different than what we normally would see in our backyard. Yeah, so these are a different family of cricket. These are domesticated crickets. The ones that we raise are called banded crickets or Grillides sigillatus. Traditionally, the one that was most commonly raised was called is called the house cricket. 
and that's Akeda domestica. That one's been bred for thousands of years intentionally, and the you know it's been decades for the banded crickets, and so there's been a lot of natural selection that happens. You know, if they get out of the bin, well then they they don't get onto the next generation. So they're a lot more docile. They have a lot less armor, and um, they're differently colored than the crickets you usually see outside. When you have that many crickets in one building, do you have to worry about pests or disease? Absolutely. There is a type of dermestid beetle that is apparently scientifically undescribed, like the flesh-eating beetles that eat the, right. you know, clean the cow skull or whatever. There's one type of them that is really loves getting into these farms and just like working its way in. It doesn't like eat the crickets or anything, but when it sheds, it leaves little sharp spikes in the food and it messes with the cricket's guts. Then you have spiders and mice and rats and like uh, in farms down south, there's one I work with in Florida that has an annual cane toad invasion of just like, you know, pound and a half toads doing their best to get inside. So pest management is, and we can't use, you know, insecticides or pesticides. So we use a lot of integrated pest management approaches, you know, even putting your like plastic owl in the farm itself helps keep the rats away. Just briefly, what are some of the other integrated pest management tools that, that you're utilizing? Yeah, so like the beetles that I mentioned, they lay their eggs on their... We use egg filler flats to give the crickets a lot of space inside the bins to like have personal space from each other. Well, the domestics lay their eggs on that. So as a pest management strategy, you'll either freeze or heat the uh, egg filler flats or you'll only use them a single time and that disrupts the the, breed, the life cycle of those beetles. So you won't get to like 0% but you'll get like a 99% reduction kind of thing. How do you ship your crickets? What, what are some of the considerations you have to take? For the live feeder crickets, they're being shipped in screened boxes and they need to arrive alive. The closest that I found in other agricultural settings is cut flowers where you need them to be good for a week at the store and good for a week at the customer's home. So we basically overnight ship everything. We do a local footprint, so we're shipping through speedy delivery. They overnight it, they get to the pet stores, they get out unboxed, and the pet stores will then sell them, you know, a half dozen, dozen crickets at a time to the people who need them. But yeah, there's a lot of logistics around it where... If it's below 40 or above 90, they're not really going to get there alive, and it turns out that that's a certain percentage of the year. So we also do some local delivery. And And then, Kevin, also, in addition to running the cricket farm in DeForest, you've also got a consulting firm. So tell me about the other insect-driven businesses you work with. I also own Bakuber Consulting. We're a niche consulting firm dedicated to growing the insect agriculture industry. So we work with, like, a lot of farmers who are starting individual farms. We work with large corporations who are either looking for waste management solutions or ways to increase the nutrition profile for their existing chicken, pig, etc. operations. And then we also work with governments to do some of the food-grade stuff and make their region more appealing for cricket insect farming as a whole. Who's usually getting into insect farming? Is it people who have a farm background? Is it people who are just trying to start their own business? You can kind of divide it into a few waves of progression for insect farming, particularly in the U.S. 
60 to 80 years ago is when the first cricket farms really started here. And those were strictly for fish bait at first. Maybe 40 or 50 years ago, they started selling at the pet stores. And the live feeder industry has grown to best estimates are around $300 million a year in the U.S. And that's both fish bait and exotic pets. And then there was another wave of like growth in the 70s and 80s when there was a renewed interest due to rising oil prices. That kind of subsided. And then the next wave that I'm a part of started really 2012 to 2014. The UN put out this 206-page report being like, hey, we should eat insects. And it got downloaded like a million times The you know, in the first 24 hours it was up. It's still like the most popular document the UN's ever released. So that started a whole new wave of energy. And that's when I got my start with Big Cricket Farms, which we did in Youngstown, Ohio. And that became the U.S.'s first FDA-inspected human food-grade insect farm. Now, I can't go on without addressing that. What is the appetite, pun intended, for the United States to eat insects? I have been shocked by the level of uptake that's happened very quietly and kind of in the background in the U.S. So we did market studies back in the the early 2010s, right? And maybe 3% of people had ever eaten an insect in the U.S., Some colleagues commissioned a new study in, I want to say, 2018, 2019, and found that fully 17% of Americans had at least tried the insects. So, you know, I'll take a 14% jump over like a decade, any day of the week. I really find that a lot of people are like, I'm willing to eat the insects, but I don't think anyone else is. And then we also do work in other countries where it's just a normal part of the diet, and there's no problem there. Does raising insects make sense as a value add to an existing farming operation? Yes, probably not crickets. Uh, There's another insect called black soldier fly that's commonly raised for fish, chicken, and pig food. I mean, it's got an expanding list of uses, but those are the the three primary ones currently. Um, And it's really great. It's able to convert things like rotten feed and other... um, other just like waste products of farms into black soldier fly, um, which are like high in lauric acid and just like generally have a desirable uh, profile. So a lot of the farmers that we work with um, kind of start by thinking they're going to sell all their black soldier fly into the, the existing market and then they'll start like feeding them to some laying hens and they'll end up using all of their own production. Growing your own feed, yeah. essentially. I think of it more as like raising one of the like high-cost portions of your feed. Like the, the protein, the oils are always expensive on the market. Yeah. So with your consultant hat on, what insects are trending right now for, in U.S. production? Yeah, I would say black soldier fly and cricket and mealworm are like the big three of the U.S. industry. There's probably another dozen and a half commonly raised insects for the live feeder market. And then internationally, there's probably 1,400 identified food insects. And, you know, that's likely a fraction of what's actually eaten. But yeah, in the U.S., the big three are crickets, mealworms, and black soldier fly. What food insects are usually raised in the U.S.? You see a lot of, again, cricket and mealworm are the most commonly raised food insects. Mm. Then there's kind of in like the shock cuisine 
You have a lot of scorpions and other things that look scary on a plate that sell like hotcakes every October for like specialty chefs, you know. Most of what you're going to see though is going to be chapalinas that are, those are seasonal grasshoppers that are caught in mass quantities in Mexico and then chili lime seasoned. And they make their way up through that supply chain every year. And there's escamoles and a couple of dishes made with ant eggs that have common imports. And then, like, South Korea has been really proactive on their creating a friendly national environment for insect production. So they've been exporting canned silkworm to the U.S. for decades. And it's really kind of taken off in a bigger way even in the last few years. Do you eat bugs? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can't. It's one of those, like, I'm not just a member, or not just the president, I'm a member too kind of situation. (laughs) I've eaten dozens of species of bugs, probably like hundreds of pounds of bugs at this point in my life. And what's your favorite way to eat them? Like, what do you recommend if someone's willing to try? Right, so I am kind of a purist on it. I think the crickets are best just, like, wok-fried, like they do in Thailand. You know, it's um, killed frozen and then uh, fried on a wok with some chili oil some sesame a little bit of garlic a little bit of lemongrass and you just kind of let the flavor speak for itself and there you have it maybe more than you thought you wanted to know about insect agriculture and what it takes to raise those tiny livestock kevin bachuber owns madison cricket farm in deforest raising crickets for live pet food This is an extension of his consulting firm where he advises insect farmers that are producing both for animal feed and human consumption. For the Midwest Farm Report, I'm Stephanie Hoff.